Welcome back to Cloud and Fire. This is Season 2, Episode 2. I'm your host, Jamie Crumley. On this season of Cloud and Fire, we are exploring what it means to feel at peace, especially after times of profound trauma. Today, we will be discussing how we can put our faith to work. Without further ado, let's get into the conversation for today. So listeners, I'm going to start off with a reflection from the gospel according to John chapter 20, and I will read verses 19 through 21. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear. And Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, so I send you. Listeners, my guest today is Bobby Newman. Bobby is an intervention professional and substance abuse counselor. He uses his experiences of having survived substance abuse to help provide hope to hundreds of families who are also wrestling with the impact of substance abuse. Bobby, thank you so much for joining us today on Cloud and Fire. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Well, Bobby, I'm, of course, we're finding ourselves in a season of great hope, but also in a season of great struggles. As for all of us, we are hopefully entering into something new after a long 14 or 15 months of being in relative social isolation. And so I'm just curious to start off just to hear from you. What has your work looked like since March of 2020? Are there ways that it has changed or uh, has it, has your, have you had more work to do or what's your experience been? Well, it, it actually, in the beginning, when this first started, it was, um, it, it was a really, just reflecting back, I mean, it, it kind of like you were like, okay, there's a situation going on, but there were still families out there that needed help. And I was still flying around and things started shutting down. I remember the first being in Dallas airport and seeing, uh, I was flying back and this guy had a hazmat, literally a hazmat suit on. And that's what he was flying with. And I was like, wait a minute, maybe, you know, with the whole whole thing. And I, I thought maybe I'm not taking this seriously enough. And then it just gradually kind of went from there. There was a few weeks that I was um, pretty much grounded, not flying around and, you know, doing interventions. But uh, then it opened back up and, you know, I probably did as, you know, from like April of last year through the end of the year, I probably did as much business as I've ever done as far as that goes. I mean, I, I don't know if the, you know, people that were having the problem, they just realized it, maybe it became more apparent to them that they need to do something about it or, um, you know, they just, it was life and death and they were willing to take the risk of like, okay, I'm going to take my chances on catching this virus versus saving my loved one's life. So, but, so we stayed pretty busy. You said a lot of things. So I'm trying to think about, like you said, COVID has really changed our world in lots of ways. What does it look like to do an intervention with everyone who loves that person not being able to be present and people being present like virtually online? How does that change the way your work looks? It, well, I, I, you know, it, it's, it's not, that's in today's world. I mean, 
surprisingly not too much. I, I actually, have, my biggest problem is, or situation that I have to try to change with families is for, if we want the person that's struggling with substance abuse to change their ways, the family has to be willing to change their ways as well. Sometimes people are social drinkers. I mean, for alcoholics, sometimes people are social drinkers, yet their loved one is struggling. It's a severe alcoholic. And they're, they're not saying that, that, wait a minute, we may need to change our behavior to get that person. We want them to change, yet we're not willing to change. Or there's also an intervention in the world, you know, inter enabling. So I like to be, for me to have my most effect to be able to do that, I like to be in front of the family members, you know, because once I get the family members prepared to do what we need to do, then, handle, you know, going in to handle the person struggling is a lot easier. So, but I know that of interventionists that do uh, interventions via Zoom as well. And I, and I, and I, and I and, or, you know, we've actually done interventions over the phone. So it's, it's forced us to improve, expand our capabilities and our abilities and better communicate and find better ways to, or different ways to be as effective. So it's, it's, it's actually looking at it. I was just thinking as you, I was answering the question that it's actually forced us to become better at what we do because we have to use other methods to do it. One thing I, I want to add to that, though, I do want to add that people that were like going to meetings and things like that from a, from an addict's point of view, they, they, they it did a, that personal camaraderie or uh, fellowship that they have that was that affected it negatively, too. Mm -hmm. so. All right. So I want to start at the beginning. I realized that I dove us straight in and I, I should have started <laughs> a little bit earlier in the story. Right. So. Right. So first of all, how did you get into the work that you're doing today? I went through a program 20 years, well, over 20 years ago. It was in August of 2000. I walked into the, uh, August 26th of 2000, I walked into a, a program and um, that was the beginning of the end of my previous life and the beginning of my new life, which has been nothing short of a miracle. And I was pretty much forced into it because I was in a lot of legal trouble. And I kind of like was told if you're, if you mess up one more time, you're at, you're going to go to jail for a long time. And, and I, you know, so I took the option of going into a program and thinking, well, at least I'll get healthy and I'll get, you know, um, you know, I, I definitely wanted to stop using drugs. I just didn't really have any confidence that there was anything out there. I mean, I didn't know that it could be done or not because I saw so many of my friends relapse and I thought, you know. I, so lo and behold, though, I, I did have some life changing experiences while I was there and I had came to terms with some of my misdeeds and and uh, took responsibility at the same time. And, and then it's just just been so I got into it that way. I actually wanted to uh, when I completed the program, I I wanted to go out and talk to kids. I started a prevention program with this particular uh, facility and um, and then I. Uh, expanded that program to to uh, you know i went from oklahoma to hawaii and then i then i started doing just it just kind of grew from there i just kind of got it put into situations where i had to you know i, I started uh, uh in prevention and then i started uh was put in a position where I, they needed somebody to run an outpatient center so i ran the outpatient center and then I was put into a situation where I had to start bringing people into programs through, through interventions. And I started doing that. And so, and I got to, you know, I was pretty good at it. So that's where I started. I, then I went out on my own about five years ago 
and started my own intervention company. Wow. Okay. So what I know about interventions, I have to say, I will be very honest with you. The only thing I know about interventions is kind of what we see on reality TV, which often uh -huh. feels very exploitative and you know, not necessarily the healthiest, right? We see people just kind of screaming and yelling at each other and people often feeling a sense perhaps of betrayal from whoever has set up this entire affair. Mm -hmm. So can you talk to us more about what is an intervention meant to be? How much should the person who is struggling with substance abuse be involved in the decision to intervene? Like what, what exactly does this look like? Well, usually it's, um... There is some, you know, that is a good format to kind of get the reality of an intervention. You're, what, an intervention means the act of stopping, you know, you're, you're trying to come in between, you know, usually a destructive act, you're trying to stop it. And so the intervention can happen, you know, at different stages. Usually when we, somebody like me gets involved or what you see on TV is, it's been going on for a very long time. And usually the families have been contributing to it by paying for various things, paying for lawyers and jail, you know, fines and money. And, you know, and basically, you know, they're rewarding someone who's not, you know, they're basically giving everybody an A. I, I, I don't know how to say this, but, you know, you've got like three siblings and one of them is struggling with addiction and the parents tend to focus all their attention on the one that's struggling and the other two that are making straight A's in college and doing well and getting married and doing great, they, they, they don't pay attention to that one. So it kind of sucks all the energy into the person who's not doing well. And it should be the other way. Should be You should be focusing on the ones who are doing positively and doing well. And then the other one will hopefully step up and go wait a minute I want you know and they'll tend to do better that way but you have to go in there and change that and, I, and I'm kind of going off of the, the track here but it, it, you you don't want to have you want to be able to deliver a communication to the person that's struggling in a fashion to which they will accept it right sometimes it doesn't matter what you say the person is going to react terribly you know, be, be, they're going to they're going to so you have to be willing to, to deal with that. And it's one of my preparation. And one of the things that I do with families is to be prepared for any reaction. We want to come in from a position of love and show concern. And we want to say, we love you. And, you know, and you know, one of the common responses is for people, for people that are going to be defensive, because it doesn't matter whether you can say, Hey, I want to give you a hundred dollars. Uh, how you doing? Having a great day. That person is going to react that they're going to, there's just, it's kind of a, a really, a really nasty response. It doesn't matter. So anything that's going to stop that behavior, that addiction is going to try to prevent you from stopping that addiction, you know, and I, it's the monster of addiction or whatever you want to call it. And so you're going to be prepared to, they're going to react. And we have to be prepared to, for that reaction and not react to them. Because if we react to them, then then they're now in control. So they're trying to, what I call, you know, they're, everybody's sitting, confronting the person, you know, and confronting sometimes could be deemed as you're gonna confront them in a negative way. Actually, you're not, you, you want it to be in a positive way. You, you want to get them to see how much I, you know, I care about this person. You know, it's a very emotional thing. And then if, if we can't melt that ridge or melt that wall that, you know, that wall that they tend to put up and get to where we can talk to this person, then, then we have to use 
you know, we have to be willing to to withstand the storm and say, look, we're we're gonna we refuse to continue to allow this to go on because we love you, we care about you. Now, I'll give you an example of the intervention that I just did. Now, this girl that we did the uh, intervention on, she was a older woman, and uh, she told me on the way to the facility, she said, if my family normally comes in and they're usually like telling me what I need to do, they're telling me what, you know, you need to do this, you need to get some help, and you, blah, blah, blah. you know, we, they came in, there was a different, that was a different, I'd never, I hadn't seen that side of my family. I don't remember when I've seen ever seen my family communicate to me in a, from a point of compassion, you know. And so that's one of the things that I do as an interventionist. How do you normally react with this person when you talk about this problem? And they tell me, and I said, okay, we're going to go in and do it differently this time. You know, I need the one that's passive and letting, you know, the one that's been slipping the $20 to the addict every other day or every day or whatever they're doing or I need that person to be more firm. I need the person who's being the hard case to be a little bit more passive. So that it kind of like we're, we're having a different dynamic and we try to avoid the confrontational yelling and screaming. And, you know, we, we don't want that to happen. Sometimes it does happen, but we prepared for that. You know, the intervention that I did before that was the guy in, uh, out on the East Coast, but the brothers were literally, they were kind of like, you know, going at it with their brother. Cause he was, he was, this, this person, if they hadn't stopped him, he was, he was going to die. I mean, there's, you know, his, his death was his next thing that's going to happen. And they were like, you know what, we're going to, we're going to, when we walk away from this, it's not going to be because we didn't do everything we could. So I got the brothers to, you know, prevent him from just walking out the door. We wanted him to understand the consequences if he decides not to get help, the consequences of that. And, his mother, which was, I think she was like 81 years old or something. And she was the, uh, you know, the enabler of the, of the situation. And uh, they, she just finally sat down and told her, said, look, son, there's no more after this. I'm done. I, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm 81 years old. I, I need to be enjoying my life and I can't be doing this. And when I'm having to take care of my 50 year old son, so you need to do this. If you don't, then just, I'm not taking any more phone calls, you know, sitting, you know, and, and that was the thing. And I, you know, I'm not going to help you, you know, with anything and I'm, I'm going to leave. So I'm going to leave now. And I hope you make the right decision. Well, she left and then he stood there like with his, like he didn't expect that. She just said, it wasn't a confrontational thing. She said, I'm, I'm done. I'm, 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 I can't do this anymore. So she leaves. And then he, about five minutes later, he decided, because he would fight with his brothers all day long. But when it came to his mom, he's like, you know, I'm, I can't, I don't want to lose that. So anyway, he decided to change this, you know, so we try to not to have that. And I, I've answered, I take very long to answer your questions, but, uh, uh, you know, we, we, we don't want to have the confrontation, but at the same time, we have to let the person know that because they will reflect on that moment later if they choose not to get, go get help that day. They will, ref we hope to leave an imprint on their mind going, wait a minute, I had an opportunity. My family came to me and because they love me. And, you know, we, and it, one of the responses is that they, like you mentioned, they feel betrayed. And my response is, well, just look around the room. Do you think that we actually, that these, this is something that everyone wants to be doing? You know, I'm sure they would rather have a barbecue or <laughs> or something you know, other than this, but they love you. So they're willing to roll up their sleeves and try to help you through this. So, 
you know, there's lots of things they would rather be doing just so, so you know, you know, so, and they, 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 that, that actually leaves an imprint on them. Like, wait, wait a minute. That actually, that's right. So thank you for sharing that. I mean, I think that gives a lot of helpful insight to those who like me are completely unfamiliar with what an intervention is intended to do. So I want to switch gears just a little bit. So most of my listeners are people of faith, Christians who are thinking after this long, hard year about what it means for us to faithfully move forward, right? In a time that for so many people has stripped away their faith. And Mm -hmm. so I'd really like to talk about where and how might faith inform the types of decisions that people are making, both from the family's perspective and how they handle a person who is dealing with um, substance abuse problems, but also from the perspective of the person who is struggling with the substance abuse problems. Right. Most people that are struggling with substance abuse, they don't want to be that way. Right. They don't want, they, they get into a point of like for myself, I didn't, I hated my life. There's three things that will motivate a person to change. One is the inherent desire to change. They don't, they're not happy. They're miserable. They're, you know, and they started taking the drugs to, to solve some sort of a problem to begin with, whether it be a mental, emotional problem or whether it be, you know, a physical problem, but then the drugs are a trap. You know, this is like a devil's Witches brew. I mean, I, you, I, there's all kinds of things that you could call it, but it's definitely a trap. There's so many things that we as people get can get trapped by that you can't even you can't even hardly turn and drive down the street without seeing, you know, so you really got to be aware of what the physical effects of the drugs are. Most addicts don't want to be addicts. They actually don't. Most of them do not. Uh, and they're but they're looking for a way out. So as so understanding that. Uh, you know, you can offer the person, you know, make them feel safe if they come to you to get help, make them feel like, yes, I'll help you. Like you could be a person that could help them do, you know, maybe you don't have the expertise, but you could make, make phone calls and say, Hey, you know, where can we go? Uh, but make them feel safe. But at the same time, have an expectation of that person. Don't let that person come and just like drain you of all your life, you know, of the energy that you have you know, say, look, I can help you, but this is what we're going to go do. You know, I'll give you an example of a friend of mine when I was in Hawaii, he would come in and start telling me about his problems. And I'd start going, okay. And then we would sit down and, uh, you know, start working out a solution to those problems. What can we do? And then he was like, well, wait a minute, I just want to talk about it. I'm like, well, (laughs) no, I'm not your guy because I got stuff to do. I mean, we'll help you, but I'm not your guy to sit here and talk about your problems and we're not going to do anything, you know, kind of like we're going to fix it. And so you have to have the expectation of make them feel like I was, I'm happy that you felt good enough to come talk. you know, I could be somebody that you could come talk to, but I'm the guy that's going to help you solve this stuff, you know, and that's because that's what I want to be for you. And uh, you know, but I'm not going to solve it for you. I'm just going to, I will help you solve it. And so that's what I would say as a family member or a friend and for, um, you know, a person struggling, I would, uh, I would, you know, sometimes people that are struggling can feel like they wouldn't be welcome at a church, you know, in church or around their church members and they, they wouldn't be welcome. And, and that, so understand that they would hopefully find someone 
that they would feel welcome around and maybe they could approach that person and that person would then be willing to, you know, sit down and talk to them and be, you know, Hey, let's, 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 let's figure this out. You know, I could be there for that person. So, cause that's, that's really what you want to have is you, we want to have people that, cause if you look around and you continually go around the people that are having problems as an addict, you're not, you got to break that. You got to get away from them. You've got to get away from them and surround yourself with people that are, doing well or trying to do well and improve themselves and spiritually grow and it's hard transitioning over for me was tough because i didn't i i grew up in a baptist church and i didn't go to church for a long time after i became started abusing substances i didn't go to church for a long time but for a wedding or a funeral and you know and then but then after i got started getting clean again and the drugs started subsiding i then wanted to go back and be amongst you know, in, in, in the fellowship of the church and be, you know, and start growing again. So I've heard that. I've heard that not only from people who um, are struggling with substance abuse, but also from anyone who feels that they might be shamed in a church because of some part of their identity. Um, yeah. Single parents, uh, people who have been incarcerated. I, you know, I've heard this from others. So then my question would be, if the church is really committed to being a place that wants to help people change, how can um, communities of faith and people of faith let people know that they are there to support them and they don't have to feel ashamed by whatever their circumstances are. That, I mean, you know, I think that, you know, I have my own personal viewpoint. Um, yeah. But I think maybe, you know, I would, there's things that people can say and do, and maybe you may not think that you're having an impact at that particular moment. But if you drop what breadcrumbs or what food for thought or, or, you know, I would have people say to me, like my ex-father-in-law, you know, he caught me one time. I got in trouble and I was over there picking up my son and said something to me like, you know, you're going to have to do. He, he brought, mentioned it to, like he knew that I was, you know, that I had been, had some issues going on and didn't make a big deal out of it. Just kind of mentioned it, just me and him. And then he said, you know, you, you're going to have to do better. And that was all he said. And I you know, just kind of impinged. He didn't make me wrong. He didn't like chastise me. He just said, you gotta, you're going to have to do better, man. And it was just a matter of fact. And, I, you know, I, it was like, I could agree with that. I'm like, you're right. I could, I could agree with that. But I didn't, we didn't really talk about it. But it, And then later on, there was another guy that said, you know, aren't you, you know, you're about ready to make a change? Are you ready to, isn't it time to make a change? It was kind of like, a, it was just, you know, he, he had kind of gone out, out of his way to talk to me. And he didn't have to. So you may not think that you're having an impact at that moment because the person may not just, you know, but you never know. You just keep, you just keep putting it out there and, you know, and let them know that, Hey, you know, you can come to me. And later on, I am, um, I went back and thank those guys. Yeah. So, you know, you don't, you may not know at the time, but you did have an impact on me to change. So, cause in the back of my mind, I wanted to, but I didn't know how. So, right. So I, I would, I would, I would encourage people to do that and don't pass judgment. And for people that are, uh, you know, I had to come to the realization that, uh, you know, as, as social people, as people of responsibility and knowing right from wrong, uh, you know, everybody's got things that they've done that they wish they hadn't done. Yes. So knowing that, then, you know, they're, you know, they're, we're all sinners, you know, yes. we're all sinners. And so it doesn't mean make one of us better than the other. It just means that, you go, okay, they've got their stuff too. I'm going to, I want to go and I want to go and be, 
I don't want to be this way anymore. So I need to get on the path. I can't let that person stop me from getting to where I want to be, mm-hmm. you know? So the, in essence, you're, you're, you're kind of um, looking at it as an excuse to not get to where you want to be because that person has issues too. I mean, we hope, I mean, we don't want them to have issues, but they do, they have stuff going on. I mean, I think that you've definitely given great specific advice, but also universal advice, because I I agree that you're right. I think we're taught for me as a minister, I've taught similar things in terms of working with youth, for example, like they might not pick up on what you're saying today, but years from now, they'll think back about that conversation you all had on the side of the road when they were 16 and it will mean something to them so it's not even necessarily i think a lot of us think about short term and really it's about the long the long game because hopefully i'm you know and it does feel a bit more urgent perhaps with people who have substance abuse issues or with people who are who have severe eating disorders and that kind of thing it does feel a bit more urgent so i do think there's a greater sense of urgency if someone's on that brink between life and death but hopefully people do have the long game. It's not their last day. And for all of us, as you said, I think that's a great message for all of us that all of us are falling short. All of us have ways that we feel ashamed. And I think that's also just a helpful way for us to approach each other, right? So this person is doing what they're doing and I think it's wrong, but you know what? I'm doing some things that are wrong too. So why don't we just try to come together and be better humans together? Um, That's right. Exactly. And, and, and it's, um, you know, where my my church uh, back home uh, in in Oklahoma, which is a little town of about 650 people, you know, I went to program, and then there was a girl that wanted help. She said, "Hey, I want some help." I mean, and she she uh, so the church got together, and they they uh, one woman in the congregation said, "I'll watch your kids for you." You know, you go and do your thing. So the girl goes to the program and so that she's watching the twins and then they would the church members would sometimes pass the hat and they would send her stuff. And, you know, so it was like they really came together to help her. And she was able to come back and get get her life squared away and become a mother and, and the mother to her kids. And it was just a really awesome thing that those guys did that uh, because they had, you know, we've got some hope now. We've got something that might work. And uh, um, and there was one other thing that I was thinking about when you were talking as, as far as I, you know, I hear a lot when I'm, people are reaching out to me and they'll talk to me for mothers or sisters or brothers, I mean, whomever, and they'll have a loved one struggling and they, you know, we'll talk for, I mean, hours at, at various, not all at once, but just over a period of time. And I can't get them to move on doing something about, you know, let's take the next step. Let's do more right. than talk about it. And then, but they can't make that effort or they can't take that step. And they always fall back and say they want to pray about it. And I'm like, that's great. But that's, you know, God, the one that I know, wants you to do something. <laughs> He's given you all the resources. So, you know, praying's over. We prayed. And here's the answer. <laughs> we now have the answer that we need. So you have to, so, and I, I look back and, and, it, it, and I've actually talked to other ministers about this because I get very aggravated about it because it's almost like they're, it's a way of them not really dealing with the situation and trying to not take responsibility for when my car breaks down, I have, to, I can pray about it. Maybe God will send a mechanic to move in next door or to happen by my house. I have to be willing to have say, hey, <laughs> let's take a look, you know, let's, what can I, what can we do? 
I think uh, I think you're absolutely right. I was trying to think of there's a scripture that always floats around in my head. So I've been over here looking to see where it is. But yeah, it's in James chapter two, um, verses 14 through 17, which is this passage about what good is it if you say you have faith, but you don't have any works. So if someone comes to you and they're hungry and they need bread and all you say to them is, um, well, peace be with you. And, you know, God bless you with that. And you give them no bread. How yeah. much use is that when God has given you bread so that you can help be of service to them? Yes. And I think that goes exactly to what you're saying. You know, sometimes we need to look inside and see what resources has God given me so that I can help this person in a tangible way right. in this moment. Um, I loved what you said earlier about, you know, I'm a very action-based person, so I love it. I, when someone <laughs> comes to us with their struggles, I do think as you know, if we're talking as people of faith, we have to be good listeners. We have to have open hearts. And at the same time, we have to offer them solutions so that they can improve their lives and vice versa. When we come to people, um, we should expect not only a sounding board, but also some meaningful solutions, right? We, we should go to each other in search of wise counsel, not only of a listening ear, right? And I think sometimes um, that's kind of where we mess up, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Yes, yes. I, yeah. I agree 100%. I, I want to write down that. It yes, it is James chapter two verses. Um, well, it's a whole section. Faith without works is dead. Uh, verses fourteen through twenty-six. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna um, study that. Yeah. So I just have one more question for you. This has been such a great conversation. So thank you so much. The last question that I have for you is right now, I think all of us, regardless of, and I, and I love that we've come to this point that we've acknowledged all of us have struggles, just different struggles. Um, and all of us are having struggles uh, these days as part of the human condition, but I think they've really been compounded in the past 15 or 16 months. Yes. So how is it that we can go forward and find the kind of peace that we're seeking? How are you helping people to do that in the work that you do? I would say that, how can we do that? I, I was just thinking, I think of this and I, it just popped in my head, you know, you have these songs and not necessarily the nicest songs, but they talk about running with the devil, right? I, I always talk about outrunning, outrunning the devil. <laughs> it's like, because he's, they're, he's laying traps for us, right? We, and, I, and I don't know, I don't want this to come across the wrong way because I have to stay busy. I have to stay busy and I have to stay productive and I have to stay, I don't have time. You know, I sit around, anymore and I you know just sitting around I'm now set out and watch a movie with my my family my little my wife and son and you know we'll hang out and do stuff like that because it's family time and we're just kind of you know spending time together and that fellowship which is you know you for a long time I didn't realize the value and all that I didn't you know I'd hang out with them because they wanted to hang out with me. but I, I sat around and really appreciate just being in their presence just being there you know even if we're not maybe they're you know over there play, playing with a dog or doing whatever we're just we're there and so those are very valuable and but I also have to be very busy and I have to be looking at doing I don't care if it's clean up the house or or you know working or or just be, being productive doing something even you know and sometimes people don't find some of the things are kind of like 
you know, not being productive, but that's actually a productive thing in itself because I'm spending time with my loved ones. And, but uh, I would say be productive, always be productive, always do positive things. And if you have time to sit around and like have, I, I don't know if it's brood is the right word, but think about things that are negative or problems, you know, um, then, then you're get busy, you know, do something, you know, don't, and, and maybe that's not necessarily as easy. Uh, it's easier said than done, but, um, you know, and surround yourself with positive people. It's so important. Faith without works, right? One of, one of our works is, you know, for example, if we want to lose weight, if we want to, you know, get off whatever our addiction, our various addictions are, if we want to find a life partner, we have to get our feet moving and make that thing happen. So that's what, that's what I hear you saying. Yeah, yes. <laughs> you know, that, there's so many things that you talked about right there. You know, I, I had trouble with, uh, you know, when I got my, my, I call it my second life, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, I, because being able to relate with people not under the influence of substances, I was, and I was very insecure about it. And then it, I, it, it dawned on me one day that if I wanted to have a life partner or a partner or a wife, you know, and I wanted to have a family, then I had to be, I wanted to have a wife, you know, then I had to be a husband, mm -hmm. you know, I had to be somebody that would want, you know, that somebody would want. Yes. And I was like, wait a minute, that's pretty profound. I mean, it's real simple. And it's, I don't know why the heck it's taking me this long to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, whoa. And then pretty soon it was pretty, I, I started practicing being a person that, you know, wasn't fake or anything. I just was, you know, started, I realized there are certain things I need to do to actually be able to have what I, and it wasn't that, it was not that much longer before my wife came into my life and We've been married coming on 15 years and congratulations. So, yeah, <laughs> our guest today has been Bobby Newman. And thank you so much, Bobby, for joining us today on the podcast. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for having me very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cloud and Fire. Remember to subscribe to Cloud and Fire wherever you find your podcast. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cloud and Fire Pod. We are a production of the First Baptist Church in Beverly, Massachusetts. And our theme music is by the talented Rebecca Silva. Until next time, be well and get home safely.